Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 1st. We made it. We made it to September. Uh, I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Returning today, uh, not only our, uh, our beloved colleague, associate editor, uh, author of Rise of the New Puritans, but also the person who generally produces the podcast and in his absence we only had one horrible technical disaster that led us to not have a podcast one of the days so i i I take that as progress uh also let me before i introduce him thank scott immergut of ricochet for producing the podcast in his absence but here he is back again noah rothman hi noah hi john very grateful to scott as well thank you it's happy to happy to be back when I left a week ago, everybody was talking about Trump and Mar-a-Lago. So I'm glad that's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've moved on. We've moved on from that. It's really exciting, uh, you know, to be trapped like uh, the characters in Sartre's No Exit uh, in the perpetual uh, brain cavity of Donald Trump's psychosis, paranoia, and lokiness. Uh, also with us, uh, of course, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John and media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow as of today, officially Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. So yeah, we'll, we'll get to Trump in a minute, uh, but uh, some offshoots of the Trump uh, center place in the center of our news. Um, we have uh, the first uh, Democratic congressman in an Alaska district in 50 years, elected last night in part as a result of ranked choice voting, but uh, also in part because nobody wanted to vote for Trump's preferred candidate and the proto-Trump, that of course being Sarah Palin. So we now have a Democrat in an Alaska seat. This means that five special elections in a row, Democrats have wildly wildly overperformed, some they won, some they just came within shouting distance. And today in in the Wall Street Journal, we have uh, a a poll showing Democrats have now taken the lead in the generic ballot. That is the question that asks, if the election were held today, would you vote for a Democrat or a Republican? And Democrats are now up three points in the generic poll, 47 to 44, an eight point or 12 point shift from March um, when Republicans were, actually the eight point shift, Republicans were five points in the lead in that poll, there is no sense pretending, as I think Carl Rove is kind of pretending today in the Wall Street Journal, that Republicans are not on the ropes and that something needs to happen for there to be a momentum shift that will still or st- or, or study steady or reverse this uh, Democratic march toward parity uh, in a midterm election in which every indication was until about four months ago that Republicans were going to crush Democrats. As Steve Kornacki said on the show last Friday, uh, there have only been two elections since 1936, two since 1936, in which the midterm election has not favored the party out of power, uh, 1998 and 2002, both for very wildly different reasons. And if the election were held today, we would have the third uh, election in which uh, gravity has been reversed and the party out of power uh, loses seats or doesn't uh, doesn't advance or something like that. So um, got to admit it, we've been saying we were we were saying for months and months, here comes a tsunami, here comes a tsunami. Uh, ain't going to be no tsunami again, unless there's some major shift. Uh, which could happen two months, long time. Uh, Joe Biden is an old man with a habit of saying stupid things. and But uh, even the issues that we might think will play well for Republicans are not yet playing well for Republicans. For example, the uh, $500 billion to a $1 trillion uh, debt. I didn't want to use the word forgiveness because that's one of the reasons it's polling well, but debt relief, debt uh, uh, it's a debt transfer, basically. A de- it's yes, a, a debt, debt transfer, transfer or, uh, to the yeah, working yeah, class. Yeah. If you a want debt to be cancellation, honest. maybe is a good way to put it. Um, is polling well? I mean, it's a sort of a 
you know, 52-48, 54-46 in favor of Biden's policy. We looked at it the day it came out and said, oh boy, this is a huge opportunity for Republicans. But if this Republican party is the party that is going to run until November, there's no such thing as an opportunity for Republicans because they don't know their ass from their elbow. They don't know what they're talking about. They got a 50-year goal passed in the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade and then didn't have a stinking clue how, what, where, or what, or in what way to talk about this, you know, uh, gal- galvanizing change in the uh, in the American body politic, and thus seeded the entire field to raging Democrats who are raising money and pushing the issue forward and winning elections based on their standing on abortion. So things are not good. And if you pretend they're good, then you're like smoking Federalist crack and you should maybe go into rehab. So that's the end of my rant. Christine, uh, now that you are a scholar, not that you always weren't a scholar, PhD, American history scholar, but now that you are, you know, a a person thinking officially sanctioned thoughts. scholar yes yeah, yeah huge <laughs> thoughts at uh, at the american enterprise institute uh i don't even have a question so, go ahead i i was gonna say i mean never underestimate the republicans ability post-trump to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory they've been doing it over and over again their their messaging has been terrible they're 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 incredibly disorganized we finally get to have a show where it's republicans in disarray um it's but I still think two months is a long way off. And I think the gamble, uh, the gamble that Biden is making, and he's going to double down on it in his speech today, is the ultra MAGA proto-fascist or semi-fascist, uh, you know, half of the country is terrible. And not just terrible, they're evil. They're morally wrong. Like that messaging, which they seem that's what they're running with now. Um, I'm not sure if that's a sustainable message for two months. Now, I, I will not put much faith in the Republicans to to find a nuanced way around that message. Their their problem with Trump is going to keep them in a in that sort of uh, toxic embrace, I think, for the next two months. And in that case, they deserve not to take back the House. They deserve not to take the Senate back. That's that the, the voters will punish them for their inability to extract themselves from this force that is taking up all the energy in the room. So, but I will be watching very closely the reaction to Biden and his rhetoric over the next few weeks, because I, uh, you know, the party that that ran on being unifying, the party that ran on, we're not the extremists. This is extremist rhetoric that they are going to be indulging in. So we'll see how it plays. Obviously their base will love it. It's what they've been feeling since Trump was elected, but I'm not sure the kind of voter that they need to win that's a little more to the middle is going to find it as appealing. That strikes me as bait. And if Republicans take it, they'll they'll deserve what they've been the bed they've been making for themselves for the last several months, because they're the reaction that they're going to think they should have is 2016 post deplorables. They should get all very defensive and very aggrieved and uh, insulted by the suggestion rather than going on offense and talking about the fundamentals that have been benefiting them for the last 18 months that they've just forgotten about the fundamentals of government, economic security national security, uh, public services that work, e.g. the education department. Uh, that's the sort of stuff that just doesn't jazz them up as much as does to talk about the persecution complex and to do things that really annoy Democrats. That's what gets them up in the morning, to provoke Democrats. But guess what provoking Democrats does? It en- en- energizes them and enthuses them. It gets them excited to pers- to engage in the political process. Nothing is more humiliating than surveying the Biden administration's record over its first 18 months. That's what they don't want to talk about. And apparently Republicans don't either anymore. Abe. Um, I mean, I think that uh, the problem here <clears throat> for Republicans is that we're they're they're daily daily going to have to deal with more Mar-a-Lago revelations and Trump's response to those revelations and Trump's responses and the responses of his defenders and allies will sort of point by point continue to bolster whatever claims Biden is going to make about half the country. Um, And they're going to have a hard time saying, this is disgusting. I can't believe the president is saying this about us. 
while Trump is sort of putting meat on the bones of Biden's claims. And Look, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to add to something, something that Noah said that I think is really important that, again, a missed opportunity for the Republicans. There are cities right now in this in this country that can't provide clean drinking water to their citizens. Most recently, Jackson, Mississippi, Flint, Michigan was the other one. These are cities that have been run by Democrats for a very long time. There are plenty of examples of dysfunctional public institutions in places that Democrats have had a lock on for decades, sometimes for half a century. That is a message that if you're in that area and you are running for office, you should constantly point to. And it's not something that's like crime, for example, or other. it's like you literally cannot turn your tap on and get a safe glass of drinking water. That's bad. That's the kind of structural stuff that actually is a good message if you wanted to be a Republican who had an argument for doing something as opposed to reacting, as Noah said. Well, let's go to Trump and the Trump and what's going on with the with the documents, because, you know, when when we first heard about this, um, our our initial response on this podcast was like a lot of people, you know, they better have the goods <clears throat> or they're going to awaken a beast. And I think um, they've awakened a beast. They didn't have the goods. And Trump is now systematically providing them with the goods ex post facto, which is an amazing thing to watch. Um, by which I mean the situation is that this is a fight over pieces of paper uh, and it's now turning into uh, a willful effort to obstruct justice and when it was about itself which is Trump isn't providing the National Archives with the documents that, according to our acts in the 1970s, it mu must be deposited there and that there's a dispute over who has what. We now have increasing evidence and conservative critics who are not, you know, inclined in this direction, like Andy McCarthy in particular, saying Trump himself is laying out a case that he willfully, knowingly, and for months obstructed justice, that he had agreed to the theoretical terms under which these documents were supposed to be returned to the National Archives, and then hid them, hid some of them in his house anyway, after inviting them in to bring them to be collected, thus demonstrating a mindset that suggests that there were documents that he wanted to keep having agreed to return them. And that's obstruction. I mean, it's kind of an open and shut case. It has nothing to do with were the documents class, did he classify them or declassify them, blah, blah, blah. It has to do with the fact that he, the archive said, we're coming in and getting these, these documents. He said, fine. And then they hid some of them while telling the people who came to get them that they had given them all of the documents. But they hadn't. So you can say, oh, it's a lot of crap, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he mishandled them. People were walking through the room in which the documents were present. It's no, but you want to make that a big deal. Fine, make that a big deal. I don't care whether it's a big deal or not. He negotiated, he and his people negotiated with the FBI and the archive and all this and said, they're coming back. And then they came and they got them and then they hit others. And I don't know what's going to happen. I think there's still a very strong argument that prosecutorial discretion says you do not charge a former president with this kind of crime because of the social consequences that people are poo-pooing or attacking Lindsey Graham for saying there might be riots in the streets. Of course, if you have reason to believe there are going to be riots in the streets, there are reasons to consider prosecutorial discretion as a factor in whether or not you, you charge this because you don't want to encourage national dissolution. But so I said there's a case for, but it's increasingly difficult not to look at this and say Trump has is putting himself, has put himself in the crosshairs. And not only that, but his tweets on Truth Social contain confessions that he knew what he was doing, that he had made a deliberate choice to do it this way. This might and sound that, like a digression from the yes, topic of, that please. we were under discussion, the fact that Republicans are imploding in the midterm. It is the exact reason why Republicans are imploding in the midterm. 
Right. Every second we spend talking about this is a second we don't spend talking about Democratic records. And yes. Republicans do engage in punditry. Mitch McConnell now talking about how many seats they're going to gain in the House. Kiss of death. Right. So <clears throat> we are in a very interesting situation because we, in other words, uh, there is no reason why Democrats have any reason not to continue pushing and arguing and talking about Mar-a-Lago. We thought maybe there was going to be a downside to this. I don't right now see a downside to Democrats keeping Mar-a-Lago front and center for months, if they can, if there is some way to continue talking about this. Because well, there's no, the there'll proof- be no resolution before the election that would, they've already announced there's going to, I mean, because it's- Well, they haven't announced it. There's a leak that well, says a, he yeah. won't be charged before the election. Hmm. Um, but why do Democrats that, have to keep talking about this? All Democrats have to do is react to what Republicans are saying. And it's not about Republicans and it's not about Democrats. That is the most important and salient thing. I mean, of course it is. It's about Republicans getting jazzed up to defend Trump and then and then Democrats being reminded of why they want to drag themselves across glass to vote for Democrats in November. It's about independent voters. Independent voters are the reason that Trump won in 2016, and independent voters are the reason that Trump lost in 2020. And according to the Wall Street Journal poll, I just need to find this number here. Hold on. Um, Independents, Republicans led independents in March in the generic ballot by 12 points. Today, 38-35 Democrat to Republican among political independents. So Republicans were up 12. They are now down three. That is a 15-point shift in the Democrats' favor. And there are only two possible ways to look at that. One is the Dobbs decision, and the other is Trump front and center and Mar-a-Lago. So even if you ascri- even if you assign a certain amount of that shift among independents to the fact that abortion is now, you know, op- it's now an open political question. You have to assign at least some of it to Trump. Trump lost the Republicans, the House. There is one more. What? Yeah, I think there's just there is one more factor here. I don't know how much to credit it. Yeah. But um, the press did this extraordinary concerted job of suddenly uh, turning on their heel right after saying, oh, my God, Biden's too old. Everyone's saying Biden's too old. Biden's old. I'm saying. Biden's back. Look at this string of successes. Oh, my God. The comeback kid. And the they, aviators. They, yeah, the, he's back. And so are his aviators. I mean, they, they put it all together and, and, and sort of hit everyone with it. I don't know to what extent people out there said, oh, I guess, I guess he's OK, then I guess he's doing all right. But it's there. It's in the mix. Right. Well, look, Joe Manchin taketh and Joe Manchin giveth back. So Joe Manchin began. Uh, the narrative or Joe Manchin was largely responsible for the narrative that Biden didn't know what the hell he was doing as president and was mismanaging his own majority party's effort to get legislation passed uh, because he couldn't get this one guy in West Virginia to bend the knee. And then out of nowhere, uh, you know, they come up with this, you know, I don't know how much it was, $400 billion, you know, one quarter of the size of the smallest amount that Biden never said he would ever agree to. That's Democrat math. It's seven hundred billion dollars. Okay, so it's half of what Biden said he would ever. Ten years. He would never even begin to think of agreeing to. But you know, they're back, baby. Right, and and now, yeah, and that, that we have. To be fair, the people who have been writing about, if you read news stories about the debt cancellation the news stories have been pretty accurate in saying it's a it's way more expensive than it looks b there are major constitutional logistical legal problems with it c it's risky d it has moral hazard like it's not like all this stuff is not being covered in the stories but who's going to read the stories that by the way that's because the the debt cancellation is the thing that he that biden actually did have some a hand in all the all the all the he's back baby stuff right. uh, was out of his hands. Right. I'm just saying that I'm just saying that, you know, what's wrong with debt cancellation or what is what is inc- incredibly problematic and likely means that n- this will never actually happen requires you to get a bit in, in the innards of the policy 
And that's not the headline. That's not the Biden is back baby headline, which is supported by Biden unilaterally announcing that he is mysteriously summoned from an act involving soldiers, the right to cancel the debt of as many as 60 million people. Right. Um, but the but the Republicans also need to be I mean, they need to be responding, not in a defensive way, but saying this is unfair. Like the moral hazard point is actually, I think, a very strong one for them, but also saying this is going to make the problem of what it costs to send your kid to college worse because they are not restructuring how tuition is is being spent and, and those increases will continue. In fact, they'll probably get much worse because there's now incentive to inflate it if, if these universities assume that the debt for these kids will be canceled. It's just all around bad. And they could say that consistently. I mean, these ads that show the, you know, the working class people jokingly, but not really saying, yeah, sure, go to college on my dime. That's real. Like that should bother independent voters. But I don't hear Republicans making that a clear messaging across the board. So there are two possibilities, one of which is Republicans are keeping their powder dry and are going to explode outward with, you know, messages aplenty, you know, around about September 15th, closer to the election. Um, uh, but you know, the, the tea leaves, if you read the tea leaves, what you're seeing is a lot, as Noah sort of alluded to a lot of, uh, pre-game, uh, explanations for why November is going to look bad. I mean, there's a lot of weird Tim, uh, not to, uh, what's his name? The Senator from Florida, not Tim Scott, Rick Scott, Rick Scott. Yeah. Rick Scott is now attacking Mitch McConnell in Politico because Mitch McConnell attack basically said he didn't know what he was doing as head of the Senate. Uh, you know, the the fund, the the official Senate reelection fund. Uh Trump is Trump is having a fight with uh McConnell over paying for or uh, no, excuse me, McConnell is now yelling at Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel spending 15 million dollars to get Blake Masters the primary, you know, get get uh, win the primary in Arizona for this Senate seat, and is now saying, "I'm done. I spent all the money I'm going to spend. Uh, you get him elected." And McConnell's like, "I never even basically saying I never even wanted this guy. He's bad news. You made him. You pay for him." And so there's like, this is not a party that seems to have its act together um, for the for the next two months, and. Um, and there is no they. There is a Republicans need to do X, Y, or Z. This is, you know, dozens of individual Senate races, uh, dozens of individual House races, like seven major Senate races, and then some gubernatorial races. And where we now also have to go to Trump is the fact that Trump's party, uh, the Republican Party as Trump's party, has chosen as its banner carriers in 2022 people who are more likely to lose than win at this moment. Trump's anointed players are showing incredible weakness at this moment. Doesn't mean they're going to lose. It doesn't mean J.D. Vance is going to lose. It doesn't mean Blake Masters is going to lose. And it doesn't mean Herschel Walker is going to lose. Or it doesn't mean Oz is going to lose. But again, if the election were held today, all of them would lose. So. That's not good. Like it would be better if some of them were winning and some of them were losing, then some of them could sneak up and then win. Um, and that's something else for which Trump has to be held accountable and for which the question will be if the results in November are calamitous for Republicans, where will the blame go? But that, but that it's like competing competing uh, incompetence, right? So what do people, what do independent voters care more about? Policy incompetence, which would be, then you'd vote against Democrats because that's what's going on with the, you know, the Democrats right now, or political incompetence. That's Trump. That's the Republicans. I mean, they might vote for, for they might vote the policy incompetence back in simply because the political risk of having, you know, any affiliation with the, the Trump controlled Republican Party is too much and, well, to, and you know, wouldn't I'm surprise sorry. me. Just to a degree, I mean, this happens every cycle once you get from the the point at which, well, it happens every cycle in which you have a, a party in control of both chambers of Congress and the president in the midterms that you go from generic opposition 
to that unified government to a less generic position because you have actual candidates with actual uh, positions and they get personalized. So that's not new. That's not bizarre and unique. Um, it's the fact that, as I said earlier, that once Republicans stopped being generic and started being actual candidates is they stopped focusing on the issues that rendered a generic opposition to democratic government palatable, indeed preferable. Uh, they're talking about a whole lot of other things that don't really resonate with the electorate for the last 18 months, certainly not what gave Republicans all this confidence in November. Uh, but there's no reason to say that they're going to keep doing that. The problem is they don't have any money. You need to go on offense. You need to fund it, pay for it, make the case, make it often, make it on the airwaves, make it in debates. See, a lot of Republican candidates don't even want to debate, suggesting that they still think they're up. They're not playing like they're behind. I, I don't know what to make of any of that because there's a lot of money sitting there that is not being spent. And guess where it is? It's in Trump's checkbook. Yeah, not the NRSC, sure. It's in Trump's checkbook. Trump has $110 million sitting there. He's not spending. Very interesting strategy. Very weird strategy that he is not yet looking at this and saying, uh, you know, I want to show my power. I better get the people that I endorsed elected or, you know, he's Scrooge McDuck swimming in his basement full of coins and dollar bills and doesn't want to surrender it. Like I, you know, it's we're 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 reaching the we're reaching the critical moment. The reason that Trump has all the reason that Republicans have no money is that Trump ate all the money. The small donor money all went to Trump. And, um, you know, this is an interesting thing where the where the rubber meets the road. We spoke last week about this amazing one point six billion dollar uh, gift um, from Barry Say to the to Leonard Leo and this new fund to support conservative causes. But major Republican donors who are the sort of equivalent, semi-equivalent of major Democratic donors are somewhat on the sidelines. And they're on the sidelines because do you want to give money? Let's say you're hedge fund Charlie. Do you want to give money to Herschel Walker? Do you want to be associated with her? Do you want to give money to Dr. Oz? If David McCormick had won in, in Pennsylvania, and he himself is a very, very rich guy. But I mean, money would be raining down on him like, you know, like rain during monsoon season in Pennsylvania from everybody he knows on Wall Street. And Oz, where is Oz? I mean, I know Selena Zito says he's going around campaigning in the state, but there's very little evidence of that. Oz is about to lose to a guy who gave an interview to the Washington Post, or his people are saying he can't debate because he has auditory processing problems owing to his stroke. But that he'll be fine if he gets elected. He, he can totally do fine. the job. Totally he do the job. He may be fine. <laughs> he may be fine. Well, Trump is, is... In many cases, that problem clears up. It's not like you need a senator who has you know, whose auditory processing is, you know, at 100%. I mean, come on, let's be serious. Do they really have to have, like, a normal candidate in Pennsylvania, Fetterman would be on the ropes. Just, you know, it's a tragic thing that that would be the case. But he's literally saying he can't debate because he can't hear right because he had a stroke. And that may get better. It may not, but it may. And He's still up 10 points or well, something. And he'll be he might potentially be up even more after this weekend because Trump is speaking in Pennsylvania this weekend. He's doing a big right. rally uh, and we'll see what he has to say. I suspect that it will be, as as Noah said at the beginning of the hour, it'll be a list of grievance. It'll be the grievance speech, you know, all the grievances and that if that's what riles up the base, then they deserve to lose to someone who can't have can't debate in a in a in an open Senate election. I mean, that's just how it is. Okay, so this is an interesting test then, because what is it that people like when they go to the Trump rallies? If they go to the or they hear or they the Trump rallies are covered, right? It's like this stand-up routine. 
goes for one or two hours. And, you know, this doesn't get much covered by the by the mainstream press, which looks for the bad, you know, quote here or there or whatever, you know, the crazy thing that he says or crazy stuff that he does. But it's funny, right? He's funny a lot of the time or what he's funny in the way that people who find him. I don't find him funny, but I understand that people find him funny. I didn't find Robin Williams particularly funny. And there are many comedians. Red Skelton, I didn't think was funny. But look, Red Skelton had a show on CBS for 20 years. So don't don't look at me. But people find Trump funny because he turns things around. He does, you know, he's like, come on, we all know this is crap. We all know this is bullshit. Let's 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 play it out. But if he goes and says, if he if he reads the balling the ballad of Reading Jail, you know, if he writes, uh, you know, De Profundis or whatever that, you know, Oscar Wilde's Oscar Wilde's self pitying, you know, uh, document from prison. If it's all this, they're coming after me, and the FBI is coming after me, and it's so unfair. I'm president. We need to redo the election. Uh, let's redo the election tomorrow. I hear the marshal of the Supreme Court is going to make me president. I mean, I don't know what he'll say. If he's funny, then he's still in the game. If he's gone totally bananas, and I think he may have now finally gone totally bananas, that's where it's not only that it's going to appear, it's going to make people, you know, it's going to light Democrats on fire to again, drag themselves over cold to vote against Republicans that Trump seems to be aligned with. Uh, But it's going to terrify independents, terrify them. Like not, not just like, Oh, I can't take it anymore. I'm so exhausted, but like we got to keep he and anybody who is like him, it's got to be kept far away from the national checkbook and the and the nuclear button. I mean, that's that's how close this is getting. See, I think the part of the persecution complex that that Noah talks about, part of its appeal um, is this sort of sense in reserve that, yeah, they are. They're coming after me, which means they're coming after you. But in the end, we're going to take them. We're going to rise and we're going to take him. Um, but what I think is different now. I don't I don't actually think Trump is any crazier than he's ever been. Um, he's got a loser stink to him now for the first time. I, I, I genuinely think so. Um, he's not in a good position in terms of the Mar-a-Lago cases we've been saying. Uh, he has cast the 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 GOP and the in the in such a way and all everyone he's cast is losing every all this as as you know as as, as you pointed out John um he is not doing well here he doesn't there's not there's none of the rally aspect of of the persecution complex I think it, it's gonna be a lot harder to summon that Trump benefited immensely from being off the national stage Remember back in back to this Wall Street Journal poll in March, they tested a hypothetical rematch, Biden, Trump, and Trump led that contest. He was definitely beating. uh, Yeah, he was winning among independents. Now that's been reversed. It's Biden leads 50 percent to 44 percent in that matchup, which does make sense insofar as Donald Trump is back on the national stage. He's reminding himself every day of who he is. The Republican Party is reminding voters that they are the party of Donald Trump. There is no contest between them when it's a real, real test of personalities. When Donald Trump is on the stage, people like Ron DeSantis fade into the into the background. And it's reminding reminding voters that this is not a generic opposition, that they actually believe certain things. We're giving Dobbs short shrift, too, because Dobbs is absolutely energized. Democratic voters, but that's that's neutralizable because it's just conventional politics. If Republicans were playing conventional politics, I don't feel like they'd be in this position right now. They're not playing the political game that you would play in a midterm election where you're making a case against the party in power. They're trying they're not making a case what at all. They're not making a positive case for themselves and they're not making a case against Democrats. Um, They're being buffeted by events and they've lost control of them. Yeah, I mean, look. The unified Republican message should be the Democrats went out and they spent four and a half trillion dollars. And look where we are now. I mean, it's not a hard message. I'm not even talking about inflate. You could just do it on spending, right? 
What have they just done in the last six weeks feeling their oats, right? They spent $700 billion on this bill that no Republican voted for, the you know, Inflation Non-Reduction Act. And then they added a, a half a billion to a trillion in debt and debt cancellation. These people are crazy. But to the they're Republicans, crazy, they're spending your money crazy. And then Republicans have. Oh, look, the guy who runs our party, he's crazy. Well, I mean, there was a you could actually make the do you miss him yet case in March, in February of this yeah. year, uh, because the polls weren't suggesting that he was this political drag that all of us knew him to be. But the polls suggested that Americans had largely forgotten about why they turned on Donald Trump. They have been reminded repeatedly over the last four, five, six weeks why they get and that's why he has this as Abe said this loser stink about him because now he's back to being a loser but if you were a republican you could dismiss that because right. oh you know polls in 2016 didn't catch it look at the polls now it's obvious that he's competitive maybe not anymore no remember that that brilliant ad that we spoke about how long that wasn't that long ago uh, where where trump was, was like six weeks ago yeah yeah where, where where trump was alluding to the sort of the, the gloom the darkness that has befallen the country under biden yeah. Um, and the implicit message there was miss me yet. Right. And yeah. and the thing about that ad that we that 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 I think Christine pointed out was that it none of it was griping. None of it was uh, yeah. uh, his his complaints about about the injustices done him. Um, that's all gone. So. He is both in public and in private, attempting to negotiate with the Justice Department as though the Justice Department were one of his creditors, right? So he has decades worth of experience of defaulting on loans or not making his payments or doing this or doing that, and then sort of going into these extensive negotiations because he has the other guy on the hook to some extent, and he makes that other party a partner in the idea that it's better for the other party if he's saved, if he's going to do the work to make the other party whole, because all the other party is going to do if the other party goes and like crushes Trump is like at pennies on the dollar. And maybe if Trump is in the game, he'll return 60 cents on the dollar. And it's better than, you know, it's better than otherwise. But the Justice Department has literally no interest in making anything easy for Trump whatsoever, not in any way except to prevent the coming of a civil war. So when Trump reaches out to the Justice Department or his people reach out and say, can we can we like can we do something to like lower the tone, you know, like like calm things down a bit? And they're like, what do we want to calm anything down for? We're coming after you. I mean, we're not coming after you yet. You you think we're coming after you. You always you say that we're coming after you. Well, you know what? Fine. You're attacking us. We're coming after you. We're gonna leak. Let's do some leaking. Look, here's the photograph of all the documents on the floor that you said you would return to us that you didn't, which is why we executed the search warrant. We executed the search warrant and we found all this stuff that is now lying on the floor that you said you had returned to us. You know, you want to screw around? You want to play in the court of public opinion? We have some standing in the court of public opinion. Now, maybe it would be better if the Justice Department and the FBI didn't play games like this. It would be better, right? Um, but just as Trump's uh, request, yeah, so Trump made this request for the special master, which again, it was an interesting effort to play the role that he plays in civil stuff, which is slow everything down. Like if I can just, you know, make get it so that this case takes eight years to get to a verdict, who knows what's going to happen in the interim? Who knows what kind of money infusion I'll have? Or who knows, maybe that bank will go bankrupt or the judge will die or something like that, right? Delaying is no help to him. But he's playing he's playing the same game he played when he was president, where it did help him. Right. He was under a constant cloud of speculation and and he it just became background noise. And he encouraged the idea that 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 was the kind of baseline level of constant persecution. They're always out to get me because I won and I speak for you. That worked for him when he actually was in power. 
right? Because, because he then, couldn't yeah. be prosecuted. Right. Well, exactly. But but he's he still couldn't be prosecuted. That. But he doesn't think he's prosecutable now either. That's the, yeah, that's well, the that's major why he's error. One of, the, one of the many reasons why he's crazy. Right. Like the more this, he goes on with this, the more he goes on with this, the more he makes it almost impossible for Merrick Garland not to charge him. This cycle is really the first cycle we're getting where we actually get to test Trumpism at the polls. Uh, that right. doesn't sound right, but bear with me. Trumpism exactly right, as uh, an affectation anyway. is something that you have to do on the trail if you're in a contested primary. And that's one of the reasons why Republicans had such giant recruiting problems in the spring of this year, where really popular governors like Phil Scott in Vermont and Larry Hogan in, in Maryland and uh, in Arizona, I'm forgetting his name, Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, all of them bowed out because none of them wanted to play the game. We're getting all these money problems because the small donors are giving all their money to Trump. We've got now Trumpism as this looming feature of the electorate blotting out the sun and preventing Republicans from talking about the economy, national security, and the failure of government to actually provide essential services. So this is really, this is the Trumpism election. And if we get a Trumpism election, Republicans are going to learn why Republicans have lost the last the last many cycles. Right. Because that's not what this election was supposed to be. And what and what this election wasn't, as Noah says, in March, it wasn't the Trump election it was the Biden election. And then these two things happened. Dobbs, which is again, you know, there was no way to game out Dobbs because something like this has never happened before. So when something has never happened before like this, then you learn something from what happens politically. So far, politically, Dobbs is helping Democrats. It is very possible over time that that will not be the case if pro-lifers and people who, you know, like get their sea legs and remind people in America what it is that they didn't like about abortion or you know, abortion on demand probably is a better way to put it. Um, country says in polls it's 70 to 30 pro pro-abortion versus versus anti-abortion. Um, so it should help blanket Democrats. legality. Blanket legality, exactly. So without it could any, not without... be an easier issue to work around, but it's a moral problem. I, I, right. I understand it's an absolute moral imperative to if you're pro-life, right, to oppose even 15-week bans, six-week bans, but that's not where the country is. Right. And so we find ourselves in this very interesting position where something exogenous, that is a Supreme Court decision, which is exogenous, uh, but will be attributed to one party since one party is entirely pro-choice and one party is largely pro-life. And then you have this guy standing there. And I'm sorry, but, you know, he may, ne he may always have been this crazy, but uh, he is... He is literally supplying the pro potential his potential prosecution with actionable material that can be used in court against him to convict him. I mean, that is what's going on. Like, why do criminal defense attorneys and people like that say, stop talking, don't ever say anything? Because everything you say is admissible in a court of law. Everything you say by choice is admissible in a court of law. And, you know, there's already, if this should get to the point where he is charged for uh, obstructing justice in the mishandling of class of classified information, there is a quote that he, something he said in October of 2016, where he said, I will prosecute every case of classified information being mishandled. No one is above the law. He said in 2016, how he, if this ever gets to a courtroom, escapes judgment. When he said that, he said, this is what I will do as president. And then it's not that a judge is going to say that was hearsay. I won't admit it. Nothing is hearsay. This is all coming out of his mouth or out of his fingers on Truth Social. And, you know, like, all they have to do is charge him. Now. There may be riots in the streets. He probably shouldn't be charged. This will not be good for the country. But again, give him two months and he's acting crazy, Abe. That's what I'm saying. He is acting crazy. 
He thinks he's not because he has all this prior experience, but it's not criminal charges that he has prior experience with. He has prior experience with civil cases involving financial negotiations and political cases made by Congress, but he does not have criminal case, you know, he I not, agree. He's, he's acting. Not I'm, I'm not saying he's not acting crazy. I'm, okay. I'm just saying that going back years now, every time we say, oh, this is he's 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 ramped up the crazy. If that were true each time, he'd literally be in a straitjacket now. <laughs> I would add I think, also that it's not it may not be good for the country to prosecute a former president. It would be just as bad for the country to fail to charge a private citizen with a crime that anyone else would get prosecuted for and has a much larger tail, longer tail when it comes to the waning faith in our institutions to behave as they should dispassionately and without prejudice for the people they they're investigating. Well, it is like a Solomonic. I mean, this is an absolutely horrible set of circumstances uh, to be in because yeah, you are now saying that every single person who is charged with the potential mishandling of classified information can go before a court and say, Hillary Clinton did this and was not prosecuted. And Donald Trump did this and was not prosecuted. And there can't be two standards of justice. I'm just a GS 15 here. And I made the mistake of taking a document home and, you know, the dog ate it. And now I'm going to go to jail for 10 years. I don't know. I don't know what the, I mean, Noah's absolutely right. And on the other hand, like, if none of those documents really exposes sources, of, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know. Cause it's even in an a, ideal world. He'd yeah. take a, he'd get charged, but then he'd plea out. Plea, like he'd right. take a plea. You're right. Yeah. That would be the ideal situation for yeah, the well, country. Petraeus, <laughs> right. Petraeus. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and that not just in an ideal world that may happen. Now, it's interesting, though, because if you plead, right, you plead guilty and you get a suspended, you get whatever. Um, the minute that he went on, out on the campaign trail and said, I'm Dreyfus, you know, they railroaded me. The plea is revoked and he exactly. goes to jail. Right. Well, but that's so, why a plea is perfect. Like it, it, you can you can impose right. conditions on someone who thinks there should never be any rules that apply to him. So. Right. But he is crazy. So. Um, I go back to the to the very sage insight that I think it was Abe who had when he was booted off Twitter, when Trump was booted off off social media, it was the best thing that could have happened to his reputation, because, the, again, now that he's back up and he's on true social, which basically puts him on all social media because the reporters instantly repost everything he wrote. Um, we see him again in all his glory. OK, so Biden is going to speak tonight. It's his first it's its first primetime address since Afghanistan, which is really not a great. Still waiting for that after action report, by the way, a year later, oh, yeah. which yeah, we were promised. Still waiting. Yeah. But so he's giving this speech and uh, it is a presidential speech. I don't know where it's going to be from. It's probably not going to be from the Oval Office, but it's it's an official presidential speech. And so I think you can therefore presume that it will be it will not just be Republican stink and vote Democratic. It's He'll go, he's going to go more elevated. It's going to be an effort to talk about, you know, the threats to our, our democracy um, and, and everything like that. Um, I, I think it's an interesting moment, uh, two months before the election, September 1st, and he has arguably had, you know, among the best several months that you know, I mean, certainly the best months that he's had as president and the best several months that uh, any president has had simply because he had driven himself into the into the toilet. So just climbing out of the toilet is already a, you know, is already a, a massive accomplishment. Um, do we expect that he will be demagogic uh, because he knows that the press is going to say that he's, you know, being Ciceronian or, you know, or do we think, uh, 
you know, it's an interesting question. Like, do, does he really need to like deliver the coup de gras here and like go? He's hard doing at... it outside Independence Hall, right? He's oh, he speaking is. I'm in, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I kept saying it was the Oval it, Office. I'm sorry. And it's all pitched as talking right. about saving the soul of America. So yeah, right. he's gonna be wallowing in 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 that. But that was his campaign theme in 2019. That's why he said he was running for president. Yeah, he said he was, I was running for president to save the soul of America. So he's clearly going to explicitly connect the 22 election with the 20 election and say, just as I ran to save the soul of America in 19 in 2019. He's inflated am, the soul of America, but I can't say that he saved it quite yet. So, well, I mean, I think Noah's onto one thing, which is going to drive everybody <laughs> who like is no, no, you're onto many things, but what you just said, no, but I mean, like in terms of, um, I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, you know what? Because you made a joke, I then forgot. I'm oh, sorry. He was going on He's offense. saying it's bait. Well, it's bait. It's yeah. bait. And they're going on offense, which gives Republicans yeah. a chance to respond uh, and actually talk about the things that matter to voters. I don't know why this is so difficult. Yes. We'll, can we talk about us, Joe Biden? What about you, XYZ? I mean, this is easy. Well, how about this? How about how about the fact that Republicans think what care what voters care about is Trump in the Mar-a-Lago raid. Right. No, but that's care- the problem here. <laughs> the problem here is that we're looking at this and saying rational people should, you know, like run against Biden. And the Republican Party just spent three weeks rallying around Trump. So why will they stop? I don't know why they started. I don't think they can stop. I don't know why they started in the first place. Besides this compulsion and a- absolute fear, not respect, not love, fear of their voters. I don't know. Like I, I like I said, I I thought that the raid, that the warrant search was an overreach, and and I still think that there is a strong argument to be made that it was an overreach. That we're still talking about a bunch of pieces of paper. And the FBI, you know, the FBI storming into the home of the former president of the United States looking for paper is unseemly. But and whatever you like think of the DOJ, the DOJ's behavior, and I'm not entirely where you are, but whatever you think of it, it is not what voters are going to head out to the polls to cast their vote on in November. Right. But you see, that's that's you know, where, but they know something about their voters. Everybody who came out and said, yeah. you know, we have to stop this was responding to incentives from their voters. You know what else is not great that Republicans could talk about? The learning loss. We're now finally getting like larger data sets about the learning loss from the school closures during COVID, which actually did help, you know, put Glenn Youngkin into office in Virginia. Like there again, there there are so many messaging paths for Republicans who want to reach out more towards the middle, more towards independent voters. And that's a terrifying story because it's not just the impact on these kids right now, but long term, that has an impact on the economic health and productivity of this country as a nation. If that many kids are behind and have to catch up because some never will catch up. All the these generic- things that the, all, all these things that Republicans should be talking about and had, could have been talking about, um, I would say, since really since the start of the pandemic and everything that's happened since. They blow and then they blow the opportunity and then the, the 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 positive step, the change, the pushback is made somewhere among liberals and and Democrats. And they will take this opportunity as well. I mean, what is it all? But what are the fundamentals of this election for Republicans all boil down to good governance? Don't spend more money than you have and inflate the currency. Let's have an education department that actually educates kids. Let's have police departments that actually fight crime. Let's not sacrifice American gains in a 20-year war on terror and, and leave the country to the, the Taliban. Those are easy. Uh, that's good messaging, good governance. But then re- voters have been reminded that Donald Trump is the alternative, and Donald Trump is not the messenger for good governance, just the opposite. I mean, we don't even have to phrase it, <clears throat> frame it as good governance, which can seem a little dull in, in a funny way if you're talking about an electric that has now been conditioned to kind of like everything at the highest decibel level. We can say these people advocated for policies that are ruining kids' lives. We have a gigantic mental health crisis, and we now have unambiguous data that nine-year-olds in this country are dumber than they were two years ago. They are scoring worse 
our educational, our, our, uh, we are now further behind the countries in the world that have the be best educational systems, you know, Finland, South Korea, wherever it is. We had the first decline in five decades of progress in math. Five decades. We have not scored a decline in a progress in math since 1972 or something, or 1969 or something like that. And um, and this was all because of policies that were advocated by those people. Our people wanted to keep schools open, wanted teachers to stop hiding behind Zoom. And you know what else? There's a mental health crisis in this country. And everybody who said everything has to shut down, that meant that young people who needed to see psychiatrists and psych you know, and therapists had couldn't do it because their offices were closed. This is their policy. They have harmed, they have done harm to this country and to our children and to our people. And uh, now we're talking about how uh, there's an FBI guy in Washington who tweeted mean things about Dick Cheney and therefore is why you know the deep state exists in 2022. And this is what I mean. So, so what, what will happen is what the Democrats did on defund. The same people who, who, who supported the bad policy, put it in place, defended it, will come around and say, no more, this is terrible. We need we 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 have failed our children as we have failed our cities. We you know and it'll be the same thing, and the entire opportunity will have been missed by by the right. And the reason these stories are coming out now, like the one about how behind uh, uh, kids uh, are because of the the school shutdowns, up, this is to lay the groundwork to make it safe for Democrats to come out and do that. They will do it. Right. Well, it's the I mean. To the extent that Trump was a leading edge indicator in 2015 of the fact that our politics was broken and was, was unresponsive to an enormous number of people, right? Trump has become the lagging indicator now. Trump, the minute the COVID hit, Trump became the lagging indicator on what the kinds it was an unbelievably inefficient and bad messenger on the fact that you know, the public health establishment said it was okay for there to be riots, but not school, you know, but not, no one could go to a beach, but you could go to a riot. That was, that was fine. That was great. You know, kids weren't allowed to see each other, but a million people could set dollar stores on fire. That was all fine. He couldn't talk about any of that properly because he's a crazy person and a solipsist and the entire and and whatever magic, you know, whatever evil magic spell he cast on the Republican Party has now, de you know, is now three or four years into its strength. Like we, there was a lot to learn from Trump. Trump didn't learn it. As we know, because he could have done all sorts of things differently and sort of created a new kind of American politics. And now Republicans are completely under the sway of every bad impulse that he had and not the creative, whatever you would call it, like the creative catastrophe impulses that he had. We need to break stuff in order to fix it, right? That was sort of the idea. Um, and so here we are. Yeah, the Democrats are going to say, I never said that school should be closed. I mean, Randy Weingarten said, I never said schools should be closed. She like, was just in the White House this week, chilling with the first lady, talking about teachers again, supposedly. Yeah. Teacher yeah. shortages and all the money yeah. that we need to throw at the unions again. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, I desperately. So on the one hand, I, I view this show as a giant admission of error on my part. Like I just had this full sense that there was no escaping the tsunami because of, you know, world historical trends, the behavior of the Trump administration and all of that. And so uh, people can say, I told you so if they want to, because I got it wrong. And on the other hand, every single thing that is happening here, we have been warning about since we started this podcast. But Christine added a note of caution and I want to, you know, elevate it because she's right. It is just fall, just yeah. starting, not even Memorial Day or Labor Day. Yeah, people are going to tune in yet, and the fundamentals 
still favor Republicans and fundamentals have a tendency to be very fundamental. Also true. But, uh, you know, it's like one of those things where it, 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 you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be this hard. Like you don't you know, you're not on the five yard line about to score a touchdown and then you go and you break your own leg. I mean, you can still drag yourself across the five yard line with a broken leg if you have to. No, you're down. But just like I'm going to sit here on the side, take a hammer and smash my own leg just to make it interesting. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. It's great to have Noah back for Abe, Christine, and Noah and John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>